0: Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Podcast Network. I am always honored to be with all of you, and I thank you for taking the time to listen. If you're looking for a deep dive into the issues that the mainstream media, the folks who are worried about political correctness and what is not going to offend people, then you're at the wrong place. But if you're looking for an American Muslim patriot, somebody who recognizes that, yeah, you know what? Religious freedom is important, and we also need to... Ward against ideologies, begin to reform them. Muslim problems need Muslim solutions. And reformation starts within the Muslim community. We need to hold our leadership accountable, and that's where this starts on this program. Every week we have opportunities on the front line on the issues that you see top of mind, whether it be on Twitter, Facebook, social media, or on television. Wherever you might see it, these topics top, top of mind, I think, give us an opportunity an opportunity to weigh in. And uh, this week is no different. We saw our two uh, radical Muslim congresswomen traveling to Israel, or or wait, trying to travel to Israel, and uh, we'll talk about how wise or unwise, we'll, we'll see, the Israeli government's refusal or withdrawal of their permission for them to come is... And I want to talk about this resistance that's happening in France. There's a resistance, and, and pardon my French, I don't speak French, but it's uh, in French, les résilientes, or the resistors. And I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, but the bottom line is, is these are Muslims that are fighting against other Muslims and sick and tired of the Islamists running our community. And this is discussed and a movement beginning in France, and I hope to connect with them, but I'm going to talk about them here Today. So first, good old Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. uh, You know, they laid this little uh, uh, nuclear legislation a month ago that looked to get congressional approval of the BDS. What's BDS? Boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. So they tried to get that, and obviously it was roundly refused and denied. I think, though, there were 30 or 40 people that supported it. Find that list. That's your anti-Semites in Congress. But first of all, I think we learned from that legislation by its co-sponsors, not only who the anti-Semites and anti-Israel leaders are in Congress, but we also learned that Ilhan Omar is a liar. She said in her campaign that she would not support the BDS movement. She said in order to get elected that she would not support boycott, divestment, and sanctions and called it inappropriate, I believe. I'm paraphrasing, but at least she uh, uh, gave the, and you know, people say that they they laugh off takia pandering as a conspiracy theory. And we've talked about that here before. Bottom line is, is, Muslim Congress, people, Muslim leaders, like any other politician, can pander, can lie in order to get elected. And the reality is that when it comes to Islamists, it's beyond simply pandering. It may involve some deeper theological issues. So, she lied. And then she puts forth this legislation. Then, her first Congressional, maybe not first congressional delegation. I think this one wasn't even official. They're, they are going on a basically quasi BDS trip. And we'll get into some of that in a minute. But, and, and it's not our first CODEL. You know, she went to uh, Africa, she went to um, other countries. I can't, I, I, I Pelosi was talking about it in Italy and showed a picture of her entering a doorway, and it was what went viral was people trying to caption the picture of Ilhan Omar and Nancy Pelosi going into a doorway in Africa, which she describes as her motherland. But more importantly, what happened this week with Israel was the interior minister of Israel, was the prime minister correct in refusing them entry? Let's let's talk about that. Was, was the Israeli government correct in refusing them entry? Now, first, let's preface this by saying it is nobody's business. Israel lives in one of the most, if not the most dangerous neighborhood on the planet, and they can decide who is a security risk and who isn't, and who to allow in as visitors on visa that they can, that they want to. So, first of all, this is all just pontification, and I will... I will chalk this up to the fact that to our friends, to our allies, our closest friends that we have personally, we always provide advice. And uh, Israel is America's closest ally. When they are threatened, we are threatened. When they succeed, we succeed. They're the only democracy in the Middle East. They are a Western democracy that is described as startup nation where you see so many of the lead startups for advanced technologies on the planet thriving and beginning in Israel. That's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. It's because of the ingenuity and free culture, free society, free markets that is stimulated within that country. We could go on talking about the relationship, the similarities, the synergy that we have between the United States and Israel, but at the end of the day, right now, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib were trying to get entry and they had an agenda. Now, that agenda was revealed. It was revealed after it was canceled. It showed where their trip was. And if you look, it's like a who's who in the radical Islamist sort of Hamas leadership, including Hanan Ashrawi, who is an apologist for the Palestinian Authority and the ideas of Islamists in the Palestinian community even though, obviously, she's not Muslim, but she's a self-described socialist, anti-Zionist, and has been working with some of the most radicals, some of the most radical in that community. So, it's not only Hanan Ashrawi. If you look, it included tours in the West Bank and in, in uh, um, other uh, other towns, that painted a picture that this was nothing about quote-unquote learning about Israel. It was simply to repackage, get photo ops, and produce an anti-Israel, pro-Islamist Palestinian propaganda trip for Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. So, to the statement of David Friedman, Ambassador Friedman, you have to agree with most of it. He said... You know, the United States supports and respects the decision of the government of Israel to deny entry to Tlaib and Rashida, I'm sorry, Rashida Tlaib and the Omar delegation. The BDS movement against Israel is not free speech. It's no less than economic warfare designed to delegitimize and ultimately destroy the Jewish state. Israel properly has enacted laws to bar entry of BDS activists under the circumstances present here, and it has every right to protect its borders against those activists in the same manner as it would bar entrance. With more conventional weapons. Initially, Israel had dedicated, had indicated that it would accept the delegation and use their visit as an opportunity to engage with and educate the delegation members with regard to Israel's vibrant and robust democracy, its religious tolerance, and its ethnic diversity. Unfortunately, the itinerary of the delegation left no room for that opportunity. It left In contrast to the nearly 70 freshman members of Congress who just recently completed or are currently pursuing a more balanced visit to Israel that included meetings with both Israeli and Palestinian leaders, the Tlaib Omar delegation limited exposure to tours organized by the most strident of BDS activists. This trip, pure and simple, is nothing more than an effort to fuel the BDS engine that Congresswoman Klaib and Omar so vigorously support. And they proved that before they left. We support Israel's application of its laws in this case. And it had laws passed in 2017 that prohibited prohibited BDS activists from coming to their country. So, I would tell you that it's a good thing. Let her go let her go into the country and have press conferences in which she can't even utter utter praise of the state of Israel in which she spews talking points of the BDS propaganda machine and will be exposed and then let's see the democrats defend that but now she didn't even go and unfortunately i believe strategically strategically that it's going to be very difficult for zionist pro-israel people to an activist to win this argument, when it comes to members of Congress, no matter, you know, how ideologically fringe they are, if they are going to visit, you use it as a moment to teach and a moment to expose and maintain that friendship. She's on the Foreign Affairs Committee. They make decisions about continued aid to Israel, And I can tell you, you know, I sat on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom for four years, appointed by Senator McConnell. And for the four years I was there, India every year refused to allow us to visit. And they said, well, you know, India came out of a post-colonial era. Whatever the reason is, they said they had national sovereignty and they weren't going to take criticism from a commission on religious freedom. They had been on our watch list because of a number of issues. And I believe, ultimately, that refusal hurt them. They're an ally, they're a democracy, and yet they refused to allow our commission, our commission that provided advice to the U.S. Congress about statutory standards about religious freedom from various countries. India constantly was on a watch list because third-hand, we weren't able to verify firsthand, second and third-hand, we knew that there were areas of significant religious freedom compromise in that country. And yet, it's a democracy. You see uh, so many positives uh, coming from a country of almost a billion people. And that, barring now, Israel obviously is even a far more successful democracy for a number of reasons. Small, much smaller country, few million people, but ultimately, the lack of transparency for visitors from an ally, from a close ally, leaders, visitors who happen to be leaders, not just citizens that are activists that want to make trouble. These are people with a constituency of over 600,000 people in their district. So I do think Israel stands to benefit from either exposing their radicalism of their ideas or trying to educate them. Now, I'm under no delusions. I don't think that Ilhan Omar and Rashida going and come back as pro-Israel, anti-Hamas activists when they come back. But I do think that there were a few things. The reversal of the position was problematic by Israel. They could have from the beginning said, you know, these are BDS supporters. Their, uh, their positions are well-known and rejected them. They could have said, you know what, we we need to see your agenda. We want to make sure it's balanced since you're activists and you're you're going to be using this on your platforms as leaders, political leaders who make funding decisions and other things that you vote on. We would like to see that it's balanced. And and you're going to be asking for our approval of your entry. But that didn't happen. And then now The agenda was released, and it shows to be completely imbalanced. So a lot of that could have been done up front, just as many— and and I've been involved in congressional delegations as a doctor back when I was in the Navy. I was a physician to Congress. I I know how these CODELs work. This was not an official CODEL, so it wouldn't have gone through that process. But I do believe, ultimately, there could have been things to to do it in a way that would not have cost Israel— I think, the PR cost that it's going to have. Because right now, if you look, why are half of the resolutions in the UN about Israel when you've got so many countries that are true human rights disasters, and yet the anti-Semitism of most of the Islamic-majority countries is what drives the UN agenda, including some of the socialist dictators that also do that too. And they do that because... Israel constantly, despite its normalcy, despite its vibrant democracy, loses the PR war. Some of it is its own, I think, uh, uh, you, can, you can blame a lot of some of the liberal entities. And, and I think the ADL in the United States, for example, has also uh, been overly apologetic. And that has fed some of it, uh, its, its obsequiousness to the left you look at Obama's positions on a number of things, I think led to some of this red-green alliance that I've talked to you about before. But at the end of the day, I think there are some opportunities that, addressed differently, could have resulted, as this one is in real time we're seeing, I believe could have resulted in better teaching opportunities, better PR strategy for Israel. And I get it. You could say, listen— they're a sovereign nation they can say who can come in and who cannot it and as president trump tweeted he said it is weakness to allow them in well that's probably true but i think it is far stronger to defeat their ideas through exposure and show how biased they are than to have simply bar them from entry next next i have to talk to you about this resistance movement, the resisters—I I love that term—and the the reason I love the term the resisters is what they call themselves: Rashida Hamdan, Mary Laurie Brossier, If I hope I pronounce their names correct, they're at the 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 they have a headquarters of Resilientes in Saint Denis in France, and Hamdan founded this organization, and Brossier, her. Her friend, her ally, is on the city council in a nearby town. And basically, she said, they did some work. They looked at the division and the separatism that's happening in France. And they said, what worries me, it is that it's developing and not retreating. What is developing? Rashida Hamdan said that ultimately, if you look at their center, More and more, for example, you see little girls wearing the veil, becoming more fundamentalist, which I oppose because I see it as a symbol of female submission. It's also an act of open defiance against the republic. So they claim to be defying the republic and wearing the hijab, becoming more conservative, more oppressive. And yet, these resistors, these are Muslims resisting the resistance. And she said, referring to the French laws that limit wearing them you see in front of the schools mothers telling other mothers that their children should be veiled she had been told by 17 year old boys that i'm not a true muslim because i'm not veiled who is telling them to say things like that who teaches them that where does that come from a 17 year old kid does not come up on his own and say oh i've got to tell other ladies to cover their hair because it is my role they're learning that from their parents they're learning it from their parents And she said as their center struggles, if they force us to close the doors of our center, they'll have everything. They being the conservative imams and elected officials who she says depend on the Muslim vote in her immigrant neighborhood. They'll have the city hall, the cafes, the movie theaters, the schools, the money. If we go, there'll be nothing in the way of the radical program. I can't tell you how much that feels exactly like my little podcast, like, like our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, now in its 15th year, still, by any stretch, a startup. A startup that is in its second decade. Why is that? Well, I think we've accomplished quite a bit. We've changed the narrative. People are talking about Islamism now. and They didn't used to. I can count for you countless number of success and Muslim leaders that have gone on from their youth to to become part of the Naval Academy, to become part of the um, military and other leadership positions as through their mentorship programs that we have. But when it compares to the operation of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Islamic side of North America that can have conventions of 50,000, 60,000, it sometimes is obviously humbly much smaller. But we're not a populist movement. The Islamists fed into a populist Islamist movement and were funded to the tunes of tens of billions of dollars in the West by both the Islamist movements of Turkey and Qatar and also the Wahhabi movements of Saudi Arabia that for two generations fed the Muslim Student Association, Islam, of North America, and elsewhere and created multiple centers of propaganda. Now some of that's changed, but you can't immediately kill off trees that have been planted and are huge. And that's what Hamdan was talking about. And she said, for decades, she's been ra- trying to raise the alarm about what is widely called Islamization and has been in the province of the far right, especially the anti immigrant National Front, now called the Rally for the Nation. The second most, uh, the country's, uh, France's second most powerful political party. And today, too, many French of liberal persuasion resist criticism of Islam because it echoes It echoes, in their view, the racism and the anti-Semitism that has afflicted afflicted France's and Europe's past. So, I think ultimately we can learn from these two ladies and what they're trying to do as the resistors. And I, I think you can learn that Muslims like us exist. Muslims that finally have the courage to stand up against, to resist the so-called resistance, but it's actually the Islamist demagogues, the Islamist oppressors, the Islamist radicals that are trying to control our communities. France saw the attacks of Charlie Hebdo. And then she said, we're totally past the point where it is the fascist, Far right and the National Front who are standing up against Islamization. The Islamo left labels us fascists and right wingers, but that's just an effort on their part to discredit us. Practically all of the activists that I work with are fighting against the Islamist effort to push a religion into the public space are on the left. You know, I read this and I say, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we're finding in our Muslim reform movement. And this is a piece about French resistors coming out of real clear investigations. A piece by Richard Bernstein. Find it. Find Richard Bernstein's piece. And what's amazing is there's a book that's coming out called The French Archipelago written by Fourcois. And his finding has riveted the French media, according to Bernstein. He said, It's been widely reported that the overall conclusion for which the Islamic surnames were just one piece of evidence. His evidence suggested that, culturally speaking, France is no longer a continuous cultural domain of one national identity, but as suggested by the title of his book, The French Archipelago, it is a conglomeration of separate and distinct cultural islands. We are in the terminal stage of the de-Christianization of France. Forcourt wrote, meaning that the cultural religious cement that once held France together has evaporated. There is no common culture anymore. Every group has its own references. Each is big enough to pretend to live, produce, and consume its own culture. And it goes on. And, you know, listen, there are other books out there. He talks about the new book Qatar Papers by veteran journalist Christian Chesneau and George Malbruneau. He uses a set of leaked documents to reveal what they call a very extensive spidery network financed by the Persian Gulf state of Qatar in support of Islamic fundamentalism. In many areas, in some districts, the Algerian novelist Boualem Sansal said, France is a germinating Islamic republic. Germinating Islamic republic. So, listen, this is so important. We see brave, courageous leaders like Hamdan and her ally, her colleague, our Muslim reform movement here in the United States in Canada and Europe, We're trying to grow, but we can't do it without others that realize. And we're not aberrations. I believe, as this tells you, it's not just about the far right or the far left. It is folks who reject theocrats. We reject Islamism. We believe and and are dedicated to the fact that we have a long road to reform, but we acknowledge that the reform is necessary, and we acknowledge that we need to lead it and we need to do it. So look up these resistors. Look up Bernstein's piece. Look at our Muslim reform movement. To those of you who are looking for hope, every week I try to find for you a little anecdote, a story of somebody doing some of the same work to give you reassurance that it's growing, it's not shrinking. The Islamists of the world like Ilhan Omar might be apparently getting larger platforms, but the fact that they're seen as such bizarre radicals, I think, points to the fact that they won't be tolerated. Their ideas will not be continued to be mainstream, but once people start to understand them as being dominant, they will then be rejected and Muslims will wake up and the left will begin to reject them. Look at the Socialist Party in Europe. They eventually rejected Tariq Ramadan and his brotherhood allies. That was after decades, but they did. And I think eventually there will be a rejection by the left of the Islamists. And there are so many anecdotes. Bernstein points out the anecdote of the imam who told a teacher to stop teaching French to his two wives. To his two wives. Because women's reading should be only the Quran in Arabic. Or women who are banned from cafes in immigrant neighborhoods because of the sexual segregation deminded, demanded by Islam, or the butcher in rural France, who responding to pressure from local Muslims, removed pictures of pigs from his shop's display windows. Or the refusal of Muslim students in public schools to observe a minute of silence for the seven Jews, three of them children murdered in twenty twelve by the jihadist, the French born jihadist Mohammed Mira, admired by some French Muslim circles. See, this is a separatism. This is the danger. And we'll continue to expose it here on this program every week. And I'll find for you areas that we can work on, areas that you can address and have conversations with your your colleagues, with your neighbors, with your friends about. We have so much work to do. And I think every time we have a teaching moment, we should take it. And we should begin to use social media to expand the voices that we trust, the voices that are about e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Not many, but one. This is the American mantra. This, I think, is some of the mm, impetus behind Brexit. The Europeans were losing that. They were losing their own national identity. Some of that response will be extreme to the far right. We've talked about that here. It's not only far right, but to the far left will be militant responses. But ultimately, we need to come together to understand what is the ideological glue that brings us together and how do we expose the ideological glue of the Islamists that threatens to gum us all up and radicalize our children and destroy our nations from within and help our enemies like Qatar, Iran, Turkey, and some of these, we don't even recognize their enemies. We think they're our allies. We think they are our allies. It's always a great honor to be with all of you. I hope you're doing well. I will look forward to talking to you again next week. God bless. This is Udi Jastron, Reform This. <music> Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.